0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1-4 to and 9-13. to The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
0: Thank you, Duncan, for reading that for us all the way from Australia. Miss you guys, hope you guys are doing well over there. Cool Springs, Happy New Year. We made it, we made it to 2021. I don't know what that means in terms of what's going to change, but it does mean that uh, life is continuing on, and the main idea of this sermon, and I want to go ahead and give it to you right now, is uh, just to impress upon us something that is so fundamentally true that it may sound like it doesn't even need to be said, and yet at the same time, the truth this particular truth is really profound, and that is this that Christ is with us, that he's with us this year. And he's with us as our perfect elder brother. He's with us. He's never not serving and caring for us and helping us and ministering to us and in control of things. He's always there. And I know that this past year has been one where where we've wondered (laughs) Where is God in all of the things that have been happening? This, is, this has been a year filled with struggle. Um, and I know that on top of just the things that, that everybody's experienced, there are, there are the unique struggles that, that you've experienced uh, that have made this, this year difficult. And Christ is with us. And this passage gives us a really deep understanding of that. It gives us evidence of it. It gives us proof of the way that Christ is with us all the time and that he never leaves us and never forsakes us, which is a promise that he makes. And so I'm looking forward to getting into this. I'm also looking forward to um, addressing the question that should be on anybody's mind when we see Jesus submitting himself to a baptism of repentance. And that question is, why (laughs) would the Son of God submit himself to a baptism of repentance? That's kind of a big question, and so we're going to get to that in a minute, but to do that, we're starting off, this is the very beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is unique in that he gets down to business quick. He does, there's no nativity in Mark's gospel. He just gets right into, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then he gets into the baptism, and we are off to the races. So there's an economy to what Mark is doing, a pace to what Mark is doing, But we might, you know, when you read scripture, you can read the first verse of a book of the Bible as kind of preamble or introduction, but what Mark says in the first verse of this gospel is radical. It's radical. Every day for the last, I want to say the last two months at least, maybe the last three months, every day, I receive an email from John the Apostle. Go goes straight to my junk box, but every day I receive an email from John the Apostle, and what John the Apostle is telling me in these emails is that Jesus is returning to judge the world in September of 2022, which coincides, according to John the Apostle, in the email, with Jesus' 2025th birthday. So that's an email that I get every single day. And it is in the junk folder and a blocked sender and do the whole thing in there. But I have to tell you, there's this little voice in the back of my mind that wonders (laughs) you know you have to right what if what if this is real because if it is real that would be huge i mean think of the claims that are being made first john the apostle is writing an email <laughs> that's a big claim the second is that he's writing to announce the return date of jesus which that's a that's big if true right and then the third thing is somehow I'm on the email list. So I get these emails. It's, it's kind of a it's, a, it's a huge thing if it's true. Mark's gospel opens with a statement that is every bit as big of a claim as that, because what Mark says in this opening verse is he, he identifies Jesus in two primary ways. The first is he identifies Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. That's what the word Christ means. So Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is an identifier. So when he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he means Jesus the Messiah. And then he doubles down and he says the Son of God. That is an enormous claim to make, that everything that is about to follow in this gospel, about this person, Jesus, is about the long-awaited Messiah who is more than a man, but he is God himself. And John the Baptist is the one that is spoken of, Mark tells us, in the prophet Isaiah, the messenger who would come to announce the Messiah's coming. And so what Mark is doing in just these opening words in this gospel is he is telling us Jesus is not just some ordinary person. He's not just some inspirational teacher. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, which we just celebrated, Mark is framing as the single most significant event in the history of Israel to date. Jesus is the fulfillment of every longing of every Israelite prophet and poet, longing for the healing, mercy, and the righteous judgment of God. That's who this is. And so with an introduction like that, you wonder, what is he about to say about the Messiah who is the Son of God? What could possibly follow that? Who will the Messiah, the Son of God, be? When he opens his mouth, will the foundations of the earth quake? Will he judge from a mighty throne? Will he overthrow Rome? Will the nations bow before him in reverence and fear? Where does Mark start? After this astonishing claim, he starts with the baptism of Jesus. And it's a scene that he has constructed in the way that he's put his words together. And the other gospel writers do this too, as they're recounting the moment, recounting what happened, which was the poetry of God to put it together this way, is that the scene of Jesus' baptism actually mirrors Genesis 1. It mirrors the creation because what you have is a new creation beginning and you have present there the triune Godhead, the Father who is the one speaking, who is present at creation. You have Jesus, who is the word of God. And you have the Holy Spirit, who is in both places hovering over the surface of the water. And Mark is using this device to remind us all of something that gets back to what I said the sermon was about in the very beginning, that Jesus is with us. And it is this. The ministry of Jesus in your life does not begin on the day that you throw up a prayer to heaven because something in your life needs resolution. The ministry of Jesus did not even begin with his birth. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been at work in our world since its creation. Why does this matter? Well, it matters for one reason because when suffering comes our way, when difficulty comes our way, we might feel as though it's coming out of the blue. It's coming from nowhere. As if it's not only catching us off guard, but maybe even catching God off guard. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as one, as the triune God, have been sustaining creation from the beginning. And so the Jesus that we are studying in Mark's gospel is not only the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, he is not only the Son of God, but he is also the King of creation, And so, if this is who he is, if Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and the King of creation, why would he submit to John's baptism, which is clearly a baptism of repentance? I'm going to get there. I'm teasing a little bit by asking the question now. We're going to get to it in a minute, but that question should perk us up because that should be a little perplexing to us. But let's look at the scene that Mark sets for us here. He gives us the account of Jesus, and he tells us Jesus went into the water with John, and when he came up, the heavens opened in glory. And something happens that Mark describes and the other gospel writers describe, but it's even as they're describing that the heavens open up, he's, Mark says they tore open, and from the tear, a dove descends and hovers over Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. And then a voice from heaven speaks. That's God the Father. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. They're all there in this moment. And something is happening that is otherworldly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what are they doing? They're reveling in one another. They're delighting in each other. They're ascribing glory To one another. And in this moment, we're witnesses to it. That's what we are. We're witnesses to it. But something is happening between the three of them, between the triune Godhead that we're observing and that we're seeing, but in a very real sense, we're apart from. And let me give you an illustration uh, of this that may help us understand a little bit of what's happening here Whenever I do a wedding, um, uh, unity candles have kind of fallen out of fashion. People don't do unity candles as much. Um, but during that part of the service when people would do a unity candle, um, I will encourage couples when I'm doing their wedding to, to put something in that place where there would be a song. This is, this is a moment right after they've exchanged rings and they've exchanged vows. I encourage them, put a song there. And on a table that's kind of set back, put a copy of your, the vows that you've just taken and, and a pen so that you can sign them together and let somebody sing a song. And the reason I do that is, one, so they can have a pretty cool relic from their wedding of, of a copy of the vows that they signed during the ceremony. But also because I want them to have a moment. I want them to have three good minutes that are just theirs that are for them to have together during this ceremony, where they have their backs to everybody and there's something else happening. And I tell them, say whatever you want to each other. Take the moment to do this and enjoy these few minutes that are just going to be yours. They're going to be a private moment in the ceremony. And we'll all be there, but we won't hear what you're saying because music will be happening. But savor this. Have this moment revel in each other because it's your wedding. The baptism of Jesus, I think, is is a little bit like that, where there's this moment where the Father speaks and the Spirit descends that is, in a way, privately shared between the members of the Godhead in ways that we don't have full access to. And I think it's important for us to point this out because it reminds us that even though God is with us, that Christ is with us, he is also other. He's also united with the father and the spirit in ways that we don't understand in this life and we see a beautiful picture of it here where we're there we're present we're watching it we're understand we're seeing it happen and yet there's an intimacy of that moment between the, the godhead that we only understand in part and yet the reason why this happens The reason why Jesus goes into the water and is baptized and the spirit descends and the voice of God comes from heaven, the reason this happens publicly is because God is illuminating for us the role that Jesus is going to play in our lives. Now, it was a baptism of repentance, but Jesus had nothing to repent of, right? He had nothing that needed changing in his life in terms of his righteousness. He didn't have the brokenness that we experience. And yet, there he was. He was standing in the line. You know, when the gospel writers described this, people were coming in droves to John to be baptized. And so, you have to picture Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh, sort of taking his place in line and kind of going through the line with other people who were there. I love that image of people not knowing that they're standing in front of and behind the Son of God. But there they are, and Jesus is in line, and he approaches John the Baptist when it's his turn. And we know from Jesus that he is not one to merely go through the motions, so he's not doing this for nothing. And so why would he submit to a baptism of repentance? The answer is this. Jesus came And we say this a lot of times here. Jesus came to live in our place and to die in our place. And one of the things that we are called to do, that John calls us to do, John the Baptist calls us to do, and Jesus calls us to do, is to repent and to believe. But here's the thing about our repenting. Even our repenting is filled with sin. We don't repent perfectly Jesus subjects himself to the act of repentance because only he could repent perfectly. See, our best attempts, I was thinking about this this week, our best attempts to hate the sin in our lives are often frustrated by selfish motives to appear a certain way, to frame things a certain way. Often our repentance is framed in such a way that that, that reveals that we actually do have a desire to cling to that sin still. I mean, how many times have you repented of something knowing full well that it's probably not the last time you're going to do that sin? What's that about? We can repent and we can say, I'm sorry, but even in the repentance, we need to repent of the way we're repenting. Does that make sense? C.S. Lewis referred to Jesus as the perfect penitent. He was the one who was perfect at repenting. Because we hate the thought, we do, we hate the thought of giving up control of our lives. And yet, the one who would give his life for us, who would lay down his life for us, he takes the step and he goes down into the water. Why? To announce, I'm with them. I'm with them. This is his solidarity, and so when we say Jesus is with us, when I tell you Jesus is with you this year, the baptism of Jesus is a picture of that. It's the beginning of his earthly ministry. It begins with him stepping into the waters of repentance to repent perfectly on our behalf as a way of saying, I stand with them. I am with them. He is with you. So, Let's add up what we've covered so far. Jesus is the long awaited Messiah that has been spoken of in the prophets in the Old Testament, the Savior who would come, spoken of in the Psalms. He is the Son of God, He is the King of creation, and the Father, God the Father, is unequivocally pleased with Him in every way. And His first official act of ministry is to step into the waters of repentance as not only a sign of solidarity with us, but to do what we cannot do apart from him, and that is this. He stepped into the waters of repentance to face the scrutiny of God in the act of repentance and then emerge faultless before him. He faces the scrutiny of God in repentance and he emerges faultless. This is the Jesus who is with us. This is the Jesus who stands with us as our brother, who represents us before God. We talk about being robed in the righteousness of Christ. This is part of what we mean. We mean that before God's judgment, we will emerge guiltless because Christ represents us as one of us, as our brother. When the Father looks at those whose faith is in Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It's a glorious, glorious thing that's happening here. And I love that part of what's happening in this passage is hard for us to understand because it's it's happening between the triune God and we're just witnesses to it. But then you see what Mark follows the baptism with. He follows it with the temptation of Jesus. So, If you're feeling like, okay, I hear you saying Jesus is with me, and that he stands with me, and that he represents me, and that he's righteous, and his righteousness is mine, uh, and he, he is the perfect penitent, and that he can face the scrutiny of God and emerge faultless. I still struggle. I still face temptation. I still wander. Does he stand with me in that? And Mark answers that question in the next verses. Because he moves immediately from this glorious moment of baptism to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and he uses very pointed language where he says the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, that this was part of God's design, that Jesus' mission would be be as one who would go into the wilderness and face temptation, that this would be the Lord's will and the Lord's driving. And Mark says, the spirit of the Lord drove Jesus into the wilderness. And then he says, with the wild animals to be tempted by Satan. This use of this phrase, with the wild animals, was important for Mark because Tim Keller notes this. He says, at the time Mark was writing his gospel, Christians were being thrown to wild animals. Not surprisingly, many surviving Christians were tempted to doubt their beliefs Tempted to hedge their commitment to God, but here they see Jesus, like Adam, experiencing a spectacular relationship with God and then having to contend with a threat of his own. See, Jesus stands with us not just in the waters of baptism, but he stands with us in temptation and judgment, and he represents us as one of us, as one who knows the suffering and the temptation and the sorrow that we feel. So he stands with us in that. He's our brother. It's the first Sunday of a new year, leaving a particularly difficult one behind. Will this year be better? Will it be worse? We don't know. But here at the beginning of 2021, know this. Jesus is near. He is with you. And he's with you not as somebody who stands at a distance because he's unable to empathize with you, that he wishes he could, but he just can't. That's not it. He's with you as one who knows full well the struggles you face. He knows your sorrows. He knows your sin. And he has entered into your world And he's entered into my world to stand in front of us, to represent us, to dress us in his clothing. And to represent us before God. Meaning every bit of delight the father has for his son is given to you as well. Every bit of it. How can we know this? We can know this because Jesus went The way. He didn't just perfectly undergo a baptism of repentance as a sinless man. He didn't just face every temptation known to humanity and not sin. With that perfect record of righteousness, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he died a death that we deserve to die and that he did not deserve to die. He died this in our place and he conquered the grave. Because death could not hold him, he owed it no wage. And he rose, giving us life in his name forever when our faith is in him. This is the gospel. This is the hope of the Christian. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, know this, that because of Jesus, your older brother who stands before you, who represents you, God delights in you. And in light of that truth, that ancient truth, I bid you a happy new year. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for this passage of scripture that is mysterious in a lot of ways. This inaugural event in the public earthly ministry of Jesus being a baptism, his own baptism. Father, we thank you that he stands in our place as the perfect penitent, the one who can withstand the scrutiny of the judgment of God, which is a judgment that accepts only holiness, and that he can emerge from that faultless, being found faultless, and that that righteousness that is his, he gives to us as he represents us before the father. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that gift. Lord, we ask that you would lead us and guide us in this new year, that we would be a people of optimism and a people who see beauty. As Rich Mullins said, there's so much beauty around us for just two eyes to see. And everywhere I go, I'm looking. Lord, would you make us to be people who are looking for the beauty that's happening around us because it's there, And Lord, we ask that you would deliver those in our community, in our city, in our world who are suffering uh, from the effects of the pandemic, from COVID. Lord, we ask for your healing and your mercy and your grace. Lead us well, mature us, grow us, deepen our dependence in you and our confidence in you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.